Welcome to the sermon webcast of Good News Lutheran Church of Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. The following sermon was preached on Sunday, April 9th, 2017, on the basis of Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11. A while back, I shared with you one of my favorite quotations from the great Albert Einstein. You maybe know that, that Einstein is sometimes credited with saying all kinds of things that he didn't actually said that he didn't actually say, but from what I can tell, I think this one's actually legit. Albert Einstein once said that if he was given an hour to save the planet, he would spend the first 59 minutes making sure that he had correctly identified the problem and then would just need the last one to work at fixing it. Einstein's point was simply that before you come up with a strategy for solving a particular problem, certainly before you expend any effort and any, any energy at executing that strategy to solve that problem, you better make sure that you have correctly identified what is, in fact, the problem. Einstein wasn't the only one who saw wisdom in those words. I'm I'm fully convinced, probably now more than ever, that our great spiritual enemy, the devil, also sees a great deal of wisdom and a great deal of opportunity, really, in those words. And what I mean by that is this. Imagine that for the last week you had been the star of your very own reality TV show. That everywhere you went and everywhere, everything you did, there was this crew of camera people and directors and producers following, following you and, and capturing everything on tape. And you carried with you one of these battery-powered microphones, and it, it picked up every single word that you said during the course of that week. I would be willing to bet that at the end of the week, there wouldn't be a whole lot of footage that would be showing you doing things that are just pure evil, doing things that are, are harmful and destructive toward others, doing things that are, are, are mean or malicious toward others. I'm guessing that what it would show is that most of the time you were being pretty nice, pretty respectful, pretty kind to everyone around you. And yet far from that indicating that somehow we are just dominating the devil in his temptations against us or that, or that he's not having a whole lot of influence against us, I would also guess that that footage would show that we spend a great deal of time and a great deal of energy addressing things as if those things are the most important things in our lives when really they are not. In other words, spending time and energy trying to solve problems that really aren't the problem. In other words, while the devil might not be very good at, at leading us to be terribly destructive toward those around us, I'm guessing he is pretty good at leading us to be terribly distracted at times. And that's why Palm Sunday is so important. Palm Sunday is the very first day in this week known as Holy Week, the most important week in Jesus' life. And from a certain standpoint, when you compare Palm Sunday to everything else that happened during that week, Palm Sunday kind of pales by comparison. If Jesus is like this mighty king who is riding forth to war to defeat our enemies for us. Nothing really gets accomplished on Palm Sunday. In fact, it's interesting when you read John's account of the Palm Sunday events, right after Jesus rides in on that donkey from Bethany to Jerusalem, John tells us that Jesus goes to the temple, he, he kind of takes a look around, and then he, he checks his watch and realizes it's a little bit late in the day already, and so 
what does he do? He, he goes right back to Bethany, right where he came from. In a certain sense, it might not seem like Palm Sunday really is all that important. But here's why it is. Palm Sunday sets the tone. Palm Sunday sets the tone for the entire week. If Jesus is this king riding forth to war to defeat all of our enemies for us, then on Palm Sunday we see with crystal clarity what Jesus' strategy is going to be. And as we look at these verses from Philippians that are in front of us today, we see Paul capture brilliantly that strategy. That strategy that Jesus employed as he went out to defeat our enemies for us. And as we look at these words and as we see Paul's summary of Jesus' strategy, we will benefit greatly by, first of all, realizing what our our big, great problem really is, realizing that Jesus is the one and only solution to that problem, and then finally, realizing why Jesus has earned the right to be crowned not just a king, but our king. As we look at Paul's words, the very first thing that Paul tells us is is that this man who's riding on this donkey from Bethany to Jerusalem is not just some ordinary man. He is both God and man in one person. Paul says it this way, that Jesus was in very nature God. It would take weeks, months to really explain what that means, but what I want to focus on this morning is why that is important. Imagine for a moment that your kids are playing downstairs in the basement and, and all of a sudden you hear some commotion coming from down there. There's, there's some trouble stirring. Suddenly people are yelling and fighting and crying. And so what is going to be your strategy for dealing with that? Well, first you might stand at the top of the stairs and kind of shout something down, knock it off. If that doesn't work, you might pursue another strategy of, of sending down a representative. So an, an older sibling goes down. Go, go down there and see what's going on. Tell them to knock it off. But then if even that doesn't work, as a final piece of strategy, you, you need to go down there yourself. Actually, you might stand at the top of the stairs and first threaten that. Don't make me come down there, right? Then it's serious, right? Then it's serious. So this man riding on the donkey, both God and man, fully God, fully man, the very nature, the very essence of God contained in, in human flesh Right then and there, we learn a lot about our problem. God did have to come down here. This isn't a problem that we could solve. It's not even a problem that God could just shout down from heaven and and give us the solution for. It's not even a problem that he could send a representative to deliver a message that would give us the solution. No, God needed to come down himself. Jesus Christ being in very nature God. That's the first part of Jesus' strategy that Paul directs our attention to. He goes on. Though being in very nature God, he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So in Jesus, we had a living, breathing, walking, talking human being who was also fully God in every single way. Every trait that God possesses, Jesus Christ also possessed. And yet from the moment that that was true, Jesus took each and every one of those traits and he set them down. 
he laid them aside. He did not put them to use. That was not his strategy. I don't know if you follow the NBA at all, but this year uh, in the NBA, there's been a bit of controversy about the fact that a lot of the star players in the NBA are getting a lot of rest. In other words, on nights where their team is playing a game, these star players are, are sitting out and getting rest. And a lot of people are upset with about this, first of all, because it, it kind of indicates that these teams aren't really all that interested in winning these regular season games, that it doesn't matter all that much to them. And then secondly, you've got the fans who are paying lots and lots of money to go to the games to see their star, favorite star players, and they show up and, and find out that they're not playing that night. But even if that would upset you, even if you would disagree with that, I think at the very least, you'd, you'd see the sense, you'd see the reason that the team has decided that, that to achieve a greater goal, it's worth losing a game here or there so that the star player can occasionally get some rest. But now imagine for a moment if the coach of the Cleveland Cavaliers, for example, went to the management of that organization and said, you know what, we're going to win it this year. We're going to win it all. And I know just the way that we can pull it off. We're going to have LeBron James sit on the bench every single game and not step onto the court a single time. Not just a few games here and there, but every single game. Not just the regular season, but the playoffs too. That is how we are going to win. That's where it stops making sense, right? And yet even that just, just captures a fraction of what Paul is saying here. That Jesus Christ, being in very nature God, took every trait that he possessed as the Son of God, and he set it down, he laid it aside. Instead, he took on the form of a servant. He appeared in human likeness. He allowed himself to become obedient to death, even death on a cross. So what kind of problem could that strategy possibly be the solution for? I can tell you that it's not that God looked down at us and realized that the life is uncomfortable at times and he wanted to make things a little bit better for us. I can tell you that it's not that God looked down on us and he wanted us to be able to have and wanted us to be able to do every little thing that our hearts desire. It's not that God wanted us to make some sports team or get into some school or land our dream job or live in our dream house. No, it's something far, far greater than that. It's that our sin puts up an impenetrable wall between us and our God. It's that the crown of God's creation, the race and the species that God made everything else in the universe for, the race and the species that God wanted nothing more than to love and to be with and enjoy communion with for all eternity, that race, that species, was separated from God by sin and destined for eternity apart from God. That's the only possible problem that a strategy like this could be solving. That would take Jesus riding into Jerusalem, yes, very triumphantly, but at the same time, without an army, without any weapons, essentially with his hands tied behind his back. Here I am. Come and get me. That it would take Jesus allowing himself to be arrested, allowing himself to be spit on and slapped allowing himself to be nailed to a cross, allowing himself to be treated as though every single one of your sins and my sins had actually been committed by him, allowing himself to make the payment for those sins. 
this strategy shows us that that is our, our greatest problem and that Jesus is its one and only solution. Palm Sunday sets the tone. If we, if we understand Palm Sunday, we are ready for the rest of Holy Week. In fact, watching Holy Week through this lens that Paul provides is kind of like watching the director's cut of a movie. That as we see everything unfold, it's like there's this voice who's telling us exactly what it all means. This is what's going on here, and this is what's happening there, and this is what this means over here. If we understand Palm Sunday, we're ready for the rest of the week. One of the fascinating things about reading those events of Holy Week is watching everybody else around Jesus. Of course, on Palm Sunday, we're told that there are these massive crowds of people, and really the crowds can kind of be divided into two groups. You've got Jesus' allies, and you've got his enemies. The allies included his disciples, his very close and loyal followers, but it also included a bunch of of pilgrims who happened to be in Jerusalem at that time for the Passover. And all of them, all of Jesus' allies, were ready on that day to crown him their king. And yet, unfortunately, they were still looking for a king who was going to overthrow the Roman government and a king who was going to restore Israel to its grand glory days. When they realized that this was Jesus' strategy, they wanted nothing to do with him. So, in fact, by the end of the week, even his most loyal and dedicated followers were nowhere to be found. His enemies, on the other hand, they had, they had lost any use for Jesus long before that. They expected Jesus to be a Messiah who would come and who would give them a nice big pat on the back for being such good people and who would join them in kind of waving a collective disapproving finger at the rest of their society. And so when Jesus came welcoming the sinners, befriending them, when he came rebuking the religious leaders, they too changed their tune and wanted nothing to do with Jesus. And so by Friday afternoon, With all of the friends and all of the allies out of the way, they could shout, crucify, without any hindrance or any opposition. Lots and lots of people, all of them trying to solve the wrong problem. What about us? We're here today. Where will we be by the end of Holy Week? Again, I I have no doubt that if we were to capture our lives on videotape, there wouldn't be a whole lot of of just pure, bald evil coming out of our lives and out of our mouths. But, But I also have no doubt that the devil employs a very wise strategy when he simply tries to get us distracted. When he takes our eyes off of our greatest problem so that we also take our eyes off of our greatest solution. Friends, don't fall for it. And here's why. Because even though everyone else was trying to solve a different problem, and as a result, everyone had nothing and no use for Jesus, none of it really mattered. There was just one voice, one opinion that truly mattered. And because Jesus did not allow the opposition, did not allow the desertion to distract him from his strategy or change him, cause him to change course, because he followed the plan all the way to the very finish line, Paul tells us that God exalted him. God exalted him to the highest place. God gave him the name that is above every other name. God declared that Jesus is Lord. Who cares what your enemies say? Who cares what your allies say when God himself declares that Jesus is Lord? And friends, what that means 
for you and me is that even though at times we have been right there with Jesus' allies, looking for certain things from Jesus, looking for him to solve certain problems, and then when he doesn't, we, we kind of lose interest and fall away, that at times we've been there right with his enemies, that when Jesus doesn't solve the problems we think he should solve, we actually get angry with him and voice our disgust with him because God gave Jesus his approval. God declared that Jesus is Lord. All of those sins have been forgiven, not just the sins of destruction, but the sins of distraction too. And so Jesus isn't less than what you might have been looking for at certain times in your life. Jesus is so abundantly more. He's not just someone that you can quick call up and ask for something when you're really in a pinch. He's not just something who will pick you up when you've fallen down. Jesus is much more than a convenience, and he is much more than a crutch. Jesus is your king. And so when you join God the Father in speaking that about Jesus and confessing that about Jesus and believing that about Jesus, not just today, not even just for the rest of Holy Week, but, but our whole lives through, all we are doing is taking our voice and putting it in perfect harmony with God the Father's. When we confess Jesus as King and Lord, we are joining the company of God the Father, all the angels in heaven, and everyone who has gone before us, and now rest with him. Pretty good company to be in. Amen. For more information about Good News Lutheran Church, visit www.goodnewslc.org.